How many of you remember the hit movie from 1984 called The Karate Kid? There we go. Any Ralph Macchio fans in the building, or is that just me? Anyway, so the movie The Karate Kid, for those of you youngins that maybe haven't seen this, we're not talking the Jaden Smith version, though that's, I guess, okay. But in the original version, there is a young boy by the name of Daniel. And Daniel, which coincidentally, we're in a Daniel series, so yay, this works out really well. So there's a guy by the name of Daniel. Him and his mom moved to Southern California. He's trying to fit in, and it seems like this ragtag group of young gentlemen seem to take a disliking for our guy, Daniel. They would be from the Cobra Kai Dojo, and they were relentless towards him, beat him up, And so Daniel wanted everything within him to become some kind of a master to be able to, like, fight off this Cobra Kai group. And in the midst of this struggle, Daniel finds this gentleman named Mr. Miyagi. And he gets to know him a little bit through some trials, ups and downs. And Daniel eventually approaches Mr. Miyagi and asks him to teach him the art of karate, And Mr. Miyagi tells Daniel this two-part sacred pact that he's going to make with him. He said, I promise teach karate. That my part. You promise learn. I say you do no questions. That your part. And so from then he said, okay, great. I'm in. He goes to shake his hand and Mr. Miyagi's like, what are you doing? And then he says some things that kind of leave Daniel puzzled. He says, okay, wash and wax my car. Like, this guy's trying to fight off Cobra Kai, and he's like, wash and wax his car. Sand the floor, paint the fence. He has him do seemingly menial tasks, and all Daniel wants to do is fight. And so Daniel does these things begrudgingly, but he still gets bullied by the Cobra Kai guys, and Daniel has no idea why Mr. Miyagi's forcing free child labor for Daniel. And then in the climactic scene in the movie, Mr. Miyagi asked Daniel to show him the moves that he made while doing those menial tasks. So he's like, sand the floor. And he stands there and he's like doing this like a begrudging high schooler would do. Like now paint the fence and he's like doing little wimpy noodle arms. But then after a little while, Mr. Miyagi's like, paint the fence, and he gets really intense, and so he like actually does the move, and Mr. Miyagi goes to punch him, and lo and behold, what he had been teaching him would actually help him out in a battle in karate, and then there's the climactic scene where Mr. Miyagi, and you might want to turn me down for a second, Matt, before I, but Mr. Miyagi's like, ah, and he does all these moves, and he's like painting the fence, and sanding, and waxing, and then like they get to the end, and they just breathe, Mr. Miyagi bows to him, and he says, come back tomorrow. Turns around, walks away, and Daniel's like, what just happened? And then he turns around, walks away, and he does come back tomorrow. And as you know from the movie, Daniel eventually wins. Go team, Mr. Miyagi. And this might just be me just wanting to watch Mr. Like Karate Kid again. And maybe for you, you might go home and watch The Karate Kid. If so, that's great. But why in the world are we talking about Daniel and Mr. Miyagi in a church service? Here's where I'm going. As we apprentice or disciple under Jesus, and as we take the patterns and lifestyle of 
Jesus and doing the things that Jesus did, sometimes we might not understand why Jesus is asking us to do these seemingly menial things. Like, why does Jesus want us to, for an example, read our Bibles? Why does Jesus want us to pray? Even when sometimes we don't feel this like extra special tingly feeling, or maybe we're like, oh, I'm supposed to fast from food for a certain period of time to engage with God? And you do that for months, and you might not feel like God gives you this big revelation or this big, like, cozy feeling. But yet, Jesus, through the patterns that he has set for us, has given us these things, not just so we could be occupied, but because those things have a reason. And that as we develop these patterns and lifestyles that are directly related to the life of Jesus... And as we remain faithful to those things and we remain faithful to Jesus, that in the midst of that, God will reveal to us in a far grander way than Mr. Miyagi did. He will reveal to us why these practices we engage with are so important for us. And in particular, in Babylon. Because as we've talked in this series about the book of Daniel, that Daniel is in exile. He's in a land that is not his homeland. And we as followers of Jesus in this culture here in 2022 in America, the way of Jesus is not the predominant way. If you don't believe me, watch whichever news you want and you will find that our world is corrupted by sin and evil. And that we are called in the midst of Babylon to remain faithful to the things that God has called us to. Or, as Daniel 6 verse 10 says about Daniel, just as he had done before. So before we get into Daniel 6 and what Daniel 6 has for us, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and space. We thank you that you are present We thank you that in the midst of our past week, um, that you have been pursuing us, you love us, you care about us, that you sent your son, Jesus, to live among us, to show us the life that we were meant to live, to die the death that we deserved, and to raise again three days later so that you would make a way when there seemed to be no way. And I pray that we would be good listeners, but even better doers of your word this morning and for the rest of our lives. We love you, and we dedicate this space as holy ground. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So for this morning, I'm just going to give a few takeaways from Daniel 6. There's a lot here. There's so much, and I encourage you to engage with the living word of God on your own. You can read Daniel 6, and there's some really good stuff. I'm going to give some highlights, and we're going to get a little practical this morning. I hope that's okay. Even if you disagree, that's kind of where we're going. So a few takeaways this morning from Daniel chapter 6. Number one, Daniel was faithful in the midst of transition. Up to this point in Daniel chapter 6, if you notice, he's had at least three bosses, at least three, and they don't seem to be like the good Christian boss that really takes care of you, but yet Daniel being ripped from his homeland, which by the way is a transition, ripped away from Judah into Babylon, and he was forced into the position he was in. He didn't say, oh, I'll sign up to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. He was chosen 
to come in to learn the Chaldean language and literature, to learn the way of the empire, and for three plus years he attended the king. And that God gave him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knowledge and wisdom in all understanding while eventually gaining respect and authority from Nebuchadnezzar. Then eventually, by the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is out in office, and then King Belshazzar, as, Daniel, or as Jordan preached yes, last week, sorry, words hard, but as Jordan preached last week, that Daniel was able to serve King Belshazzar. And as we looked in Daniel chapter 5, that he was still faithful to the position that God had called him to, even in the midst of exile. And then now we get to Daniel chapter 6, and he has a new boss, King Darius of the Medes. Three different bosses in the midst of exile. And it's interesting, as we look in the beginning of Daniel chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, we'll look at a few passages. But in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole Realm, And then later into verse 5, then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God because there was nothing corrupt about Daniel. He had remained faithful in the midst of transition. And for us, can we church family be faithful in the midst of transition? whether it's here within this local church body as we've experienced some transition, and we will in the future, just to give you a little forewarning. In your workplace, are we going to remain faithful to what God has called us to in the midst of transition? In your families, are you going to be faithful in the midst of transition? Second thing we're going to take notice of is that Daniel is faithful in the midst of opposition. There's a lot of transition, but there's also so much opposition that Daniel had faced. Because just because he was a faithful follower of Yahweh didn't mean he was immune from hardship. It actually meant that the hardships ramped up. In Daniel chapter 1, as Sam preached what seems to be so long ago, that Daniel was opposed when he and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wanted to go to a veggie and water diet. He was opposed by that. Then the next chapter, Daniel and his three buddies were about to be executed, to be executed because the Chaldeans couldn't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. God gave them the interpretation of the dream, and they were able to escape execution. In chapter 3, Daniel had to stay strong in his relationship with God when Nebuchadnezzar erected the golden statue and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through their trials. Daniel, through all of that, had to remain faithful in the midst of that opposition. And then, again, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And last week, we looked at the writing on the wall that Daniel had faced some opposition and yet was still faithful to his call and faithful to his God. And in Daniel chapter 6, he faces opposition once again. As Rachel read this morning, 
the administrators and satraps, in verse 6, they went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefect, the satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance. By the way, pause. They said, all of them. Do you think Daniel is on board? I don't think so. So just to kind of prove here that there's a little bit of a lie in their statement. But as we pick back up again, that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. And then pick back up in verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his room. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God. Catch this, as he had done before. So this wasn't like a crisis. Oh, I guess I better pray. This is something that Daniel had regularly done, even in the midst of opposition. Going back to Daniel chapter 1, before that, even when he was in Judah, it seems as if these were patterns that Daniel was already doing. That in exile, he was regularly practicing at least three times a day the opportunity to set aside space to just be with his God. Charles Spurgeon preached a message about this at one point, and he said this about this particular passage. That does not tell you how often he prayed the three times a day, but how often he was in the posture of prayer. Doubtless he prayed 300 times a day if necessary. His heart was always having commerce with the skies, but thrice a day he prayed formally meaning that even in the midst of opposition, and this transitions to my third point, that Daniel had steadfast rhythms, and those steadfast rhythms cultivated a steadfast disciple. That as you remain faithful to the disciplines that God has called you to, in order to engage with him, because just to clarify, the disciplines by themselves are the spiritual practices that God has given us to perform Those things in and of themselves are not holy, but the God we connect with is the one that is holy. These practices are the doorframe by which we walk through in order to get to the presence of God. So as you read your Bible, that yes, this is the Holy Bible, but you engage with the Holy Bible to get to the Holy One. You pray, not because prayer itself is holy, but because the God that you talk to is holy. And if you remember, if you were with us, as we began in 2022, we started this series called Cultivate. And the reason why we did that, because in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of our current culture today, it's important for us to engage in these disciplines so that we could say, just like the scripture says about Daniel, that we remain steadfast and faithful in the midst of opposition, in the midst of transition, just as we have already done. That we don't wait until culture smacks us in the face before we start praying. We start praying now. We make it a habit to read our Bibles. And we engage in those things steadfastly. Why? Because we want to remain faithful to our God. That's why we read our Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we engage in practices like Sabbath and fasting generosity, peacemaking, community, and hospitality. 
and these rhythms and disciplines also, church family, they are not the magic formula for our ascent unto holiness or perfection. They merely clear the ground for God to move. Or Richard Foster put it this way. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plant, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. There are a way of sowing to the spirit. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can't do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. That as we engage in these disciplines and as we remain steadfast in them, the practices themselves will not transform you, but the God on the other end is the one who does. And Daniel, in this chapter and in this story, remains steadfast in those disciplines. Just because the government was pushing back against him didn't mean that Daniel stopped. He continued to pray. And you bet your bottom dollar that when he was in that lion's den, he was praying some of the most fierce and desperate prayers. But yet, as he had already done before, even in the lion's den, when he could shout out, God, why have you abandoned me? Why am I in this place? Oh, I guess I'm going to get eaten by lions. He still leaned in to pray, just as he had done before. 